listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. All about how are we utilizing our resources? How are we funneling our resources towards our strategy in order to accomplish our mission? We're going to talk about operations today. Why is it important for a person, and we're going to put our, our hat on when we frame this discussion, of our business is now six months to our, let's say two and a half years is typically the time frame it takes when you start a business to get into that flow where you really feel as if you have everything in place where you're just taking orders, the orders start coming in and you really set up a system. So put yourself in the business that you're creating or talking about two and a half years from now, snap your fingers. What does that look like as an operations manager? And, how, and what can I do now and in the next six months to prepare for those steps and have a plan to get ready for it? And the other question is, why is it good to do that stuff now as opposed to the funny terminology is ready, fire, aim? But she was not prepared in the early phases of her business for the influx of orders that she was going to get. She's a salesperson. Everybody thinks differently. And as entrepreneurs, it's so important that we hire to our weaknesses and that we stay in our strength. So eventually, and remember, we're two and a half years from now, the critical hires that we bring onto our team, we have to find the people that are good at the things we don't want to do. And in order to do that, we have to know who are we. And then also, when we bring someone onto the team, who are they? And what are they good at? So why is it important to understand how we think and, and whether or not we're introverted or extroverted? Do you think that this is exciting for the salespeople in class to look at all this stuff and figure out how we're going to get the stuff, how we're going to utilize the stuff, how we're going to fit it into a system, how we're going to manage the system, how that system is going to produce for us, how we're going to measure the system, how that system is going to scale? I'm trying to make a point of saying that operations is not for everyone. We are a force of one. Maybe a force of two when we start our company. Maybe a force of three. And even when we're a force of two and three, we still have to divide and conquer our labor. And we have to realize what are the things that give us the juice and that we're passionate about, we're missional about, and what are the things that train us? And the things that we're just like, eh, whatever it is. The reality is we can't ignore any of them. We have to do all of them, but eventually as we build out the operations, we can focus on what we're strong at. So we got our extroverts and we got our introverts. So on the bottom side, the bottom here is sensory thinking. So more empathetic, they're better at reading social cues, they're genuinely um, better at understanding others' emotions because they can sense it and they like to, to feel like they're a part of other people's lives. Whereas the intuitive thinkers, so these are the sensory thinkers, these are the intuitive thinkers. The intuitive thinkers are always head in the clouds. What's next? They're thinking um, on another level, they're thinking uh, progressively. They're thinking about the future, the idea, ideators, the creators. And typically they sort of bounce around a little bit more, and they may not be as good at saying, are you hungry? How can I help you? Because they're, they think that their creative helping intuition and the conversation they're producing is helping. And so it's not, there's not a bad thing about being intuitive, and there's not a bad thing about being censored. The reality is we have to know what we're good at and where we thrive and what we struggle with at times. She just didn't care about it. She didn't care about the mechanics of the business. Her passion was on the vision, her passion was on the product, her passion was on the creative side. 
So she had to find people over here and over here who are really good at that kind of stuff. And the most important things that these CEOs did was capital allocation. How much money do we have? And where is it going? They, they have stagnant money. It's float. It's sitting there doing nothing. They need to deploy the capital in order for it to earn a return. So the strategy in which we use to deploy capital is one of three key functions that we have as leaders. How are we doing it? Why are we doing it? And what is the long-term plan here? And it talks all about how are we utilizing our resources? How are we funneling our resources towards our strategy in order to accomplish our mission? What do we have and how are we targeting it to our strategy to accomplish our mission? Capital allocation is key in that. Number two, operational effectiveness. So all this stuff we put on the board costs money. Do we buy the, the machine, the oven to cook our cake, or do we lease it? Do we purchase the facility in Opalaka or Hialeah or Key Largo, or do we lease it? Do we take the, the money that we receive from the customer, the prepayment money, and do we use that to pay down debt, or do we use that money to invest? These are all capital allocation decisions. In order to do what? To operate effectively with peace, with power, with the ability to make creative decisions. Operational effectiveness stems, these two work hand in hand. The, the capital allocation decision could hurt the operational effectiveness. If you decide that you're only going to buy two cars, but you really need three cars, and you bought two cars and you're making your guys work their freaking tails off because you're too cheap and too frugal to buy that third car, and your guys are burnt out and one of them quits, could your capital allocation decision impact your operational effectiveness? So do you see how they kind of are hand in hand? The finance and the operations are critical. If we make the right capital allocation decisions, our operations are more effective, which means we have more capital. Yeah, we have more money, we have more profit, we have more retained earnings. So therefore, we can make better and more effective operational decisions, which create more capital, because operations is key. Like how you get it done, there's a big discussion that we can have about bureaucracy and hierarchy, which would be centralized communication versus decentralized communication. So this is a traditional hierarchy where you have a CEO, then you have a, say, VP of ops, you have HR uh, director, and you have, say, a CFO. The, the CFO manages maybe the controller, Procurement and the controller has accounts receivable, accounts payable, and collections. Procurement has a buyer and a relationship specialist. And VP Ops has field manager one, field manager two, and maybe an ops manager. And then they have their teams. And everything that has to do with decision making typically has to funnel up, up, up. And then a lot of it has to be approved. This is a centralized decision-making hierarchy where a lot of things have to be, decisions are difficult to be, to be made. Operational decisions are hard to be made, and so are capital expenditure decisions. It's like there's always this big meeting about whether or not we're going to do something. Centralized. Decentralized would be unit one, unit two, unit three, unit four, unit five, 
all reporting to a operations. Forget about the system. All of these guys are commissioned to make decisions for their own business unit. You need to figure out what you need to operate and you have a budget and you make it, if you need anything at all, that's above and beyond, you just come to me and I'll make the decision. And this guy has the full authority and the autonomy to do whatever he needs. And only when it's needed does a CEO get involved in those kinds of decisions. These are almost like individual business units, decentralized. We're talking about within, say we're talking about centralized versus decentralized hierarchical structures. But this is critical to understand when we think about operational effectiveness. What structure of our organization is going to be most conducive to our mission, vision, our resource allocation in order to be most operationally efficient? It's, it's the one guy that makes sure operations is good. So that's the hat we're going to put on today. And we're going to make sure that these guys all have everything they need in the field, which encompasses all of this stuff in order to get the job. How are you actually creating value? But when we think about operations, we think about two things. Everything you see up on this board, it, it needs people to make it function. Business is meant to serve people. It all, the premise of it was on trade and specialization. It's, that's what it is. Cities were created to make trade easier amongst one another. The, the people in the royal rural towns, they would have to travel to the city to trade, right? To the market, to their sheep and their goat. When the goat farmer found out that they don't need to have a cow, a sheep, six pigs, basically they had a bunch of goats. That's all they needed. They got really good at making goats. And they would take their goats and get on the thing and they bring it down to the market and they say, I got the best freaking goats, but he needs some pigs and he needs to. So he goes home with what he needs for his family, but he sells goats to make a, a profit. So the people, it's for people. Business is for people. How do the people work? with the tools and the systems within the processes to create value for the people. That's operations. It's how the business model directs itself. It's the orchestra behind the business. How much can we produce with what we have? How consistent can we produce it? What are the bottlenecks? This is a big one. How do we find the bottlenecks? What is a bottleneck? It really backs it up. It slows it down. We want to expand the, the bottleneck to make it flow a little bit quicker because our capacity is constrained by bottlenecks. So quality levels. Quality is a big one that we didn't really talk about here. Why do we have print stuff, web stuff, logos, pitch decks? What are we exuding in that material? The whole purpose of it is to demonstrate to clients or prospective customers that we can offer them value, quality product, whatever it is. We can create value, but we want it to be nice. We want to make sure our business card is nice. We want that to be real nice. Your chocolate donut shop, your chocolate donut sucks. But your marketing is great. You walk in there, man, I can't wait for look at this picture, this donut, freaking look good. They, they throw something on your plate, you're like, what is that? And you, you eat it, it tastes hard, are you gonna go back? No. So all of this stuff, as fancy and as fun as it as fun as marketing can be, it means nothing unless your operations and your quality exemplifies it. External facing, if you're just thinking from an operator's perspective. I don't care about people's lives. I know that's crazy, but you're like, I need to get this train from here to here with this amount of people 18 times a day. That's it. Because I had a great experience, but will I have a great experience every time I use it? When I have a, a maid or a lady clean my house, a cleaning service, what do I want from I want one great cleaning, but I want a great cleaning every time. I want the floors to be nice.
So this is the basis of, of operations. Do you know your revenue drivers? It's like Brightline example for ticket sales. How do they, ticket sales. These are just the person that wants to go. There's three stops, real simple. Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach. We want people to get on the train and buy a ticket. 22 bucks. For a one-way ticket, 40 bucks a round trip. Ticket sales, what else? Food and beverage. Okay. So it would be, we'll call that food and beverage sales. The second revenue driver for Brightline is, we'll just say food and beverage sales. The additional one would be an upgrade seat. So let's just say there's, there's the seats, there's the upgrades, there's the food and beverage, and then there's the bikes. There's four revenue drivers. Each one of those revenue drivers has a different way of interacting with the operations. It really needs to be sort of kept in a different zone. So you got ticket sales. How do we get and be most efficient with ticket sales? Get one person from here to there. Then once they're on the, on the train, how do we get the cart to be most effective and most efficient with offering food and beverage and alcohol? So how do we make that revenue increase? What can be the most operationally efficient way? You better believe people are sitting around thinking about that. Because one of the crazy things, there's been so much capital expenditure in Brightline. So now that capital allocation is not saying I need operational efficiency. If we don't have enough people on the train buying enough drinks, this thing's going to go bankrupt. In order to be most operationally effective and efficient, we need data, facts, consumer feedback. Yeah, so we have, my wife just stepped into a new position in something called patient experience. She moved from foundations to patient experience at Homestead Hospital. And the reality is she needs to understand how many complaints are there, how many grievances are there. She needs to know on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. Count these things. And if we don't have a system that can count those things, it's difficult to set goals saying, okay, we're going to go from 100 complaints and 10 grievances a week to uh, 90 complaints and 5 grievances a week, and we're going to set a goal of three months. But she can't do that unless she has the data. So as an operator, it is pivotal to have information and systems and data in order to make decisions, which you can spend all day, which is the tough part about operations, collecting data and never actually make an impact in operation. Because data, what data is for is for decision making. Let's look at the Brightline example. We talked about the different services, the transactions. When I pay Brightline on my credit card, do they get the money right away? Probably not. Maybe, maybe it's sitting somewhere. If you have a million people a day using Brightline and they delay your ability to collect that cash for two days, could that hinder your operations? So there's like a third party, would that be a capital allocation decision? We're just gonna buy that company. They have all the systems, they help us with our credit card payments, but my gosh, in order to effectively operate, if I buy that guy, that gives me access to my capital two days earlier, and that's a significant decision of me being able to allocate that capital differently. So that's kind of a convoluted way to say that our transaction costs are something we should take into consideration as well. Transaction costs, when you buy a house for $300,000, you say, okay, I'm buying buy $300,000. How much does that house actually cost you? What, what are, what's associated with some of those? Taxes. Clothing costs. Clothing costs. Taxes. So your proceeds are a lot lower than what you had expected. So those are called transaction costs. Whenever we buy things, whenever we exchange things, typically there's, there's fees involved. And as operators, we've got to understand those fees because they add up. Bank service charges, late payments. If you have a relationship with a supplier or vendor, they, they issue credit for 30 days and after 30 days, they start putting late payment penalties on you. You need to know that because over the course of two years, you can get hit with thousands of dollars of late penalties. So if we invested $100,000 and we each video game cost $50, the question is how many video games do we need to sell to capture that $100,000? The answer is 2,000 video games. So we spent $100,000 and 
and we have $125,000 in revenue. If we say, all right, there's $100,000 of initial investment, no additional operating costs, and we were able to manufacture, produce, sell, market, all of this kind of stuff, we would break even after 2,000 units. And everything over 2,000 units, we would literally make $50 per unit. Is that realistic? It isn't. How is that? The answer is no. Because realistically, the initial investment is going to produce those things, but you're going to have ongoing costs associated with making those additional units. These additional costs are going to be continual. Every single time we produce another unit, it's going to cost us that. So, so in all this time frame, we're incurring costs. So another thing would be here, this would be operating costs of, we'll say, it costs us another $50,000 to operate. So we can dig at this a little bit further, but the truth of the matter is there's additional cost of operating that is in addition to the initial capital outlay when we talk about breaking. But the reality is you have to learn, and this is critical for our operations, what if that six months was six years? What if that six months was seven months? What if that six years was two months? So is, do you think it's important for us to know when it is that we're going to break even with the money that we spend on our company? It's so critical in understanding the operations of our business. We have to know how long it's going to take to make a certain amount of units, how long it's going to take to get a certain amount of clients, how long it's going to take to break even. We have to know how many units of, of sale that is. We have to know what our cost associated with each one of the different products is. So your fixed cost divided by your contribution margin, margin break even point. So there's, there's break even point in number of units sold, and then there's break even point in like how long it takes to sell those number of units. It's really interesting because when you think about manufacturing, you think about a product, it takes a lot of initial investment, right? But once you hit that break even point, is the contribution margin potentially higher? Once you spend all that money making those t-shirts, and let's just say that you break even as 50 t-shirts. Once you sell that 51st t-shirt, your, is your margin higher potentially than like a service? Let's try to frame it with some relevant business examples. iPhones, nice shoes, basketball hoops, luxury goods. So when you purchase that luxury good, they've already figured out how to manufacture it, they've already figured out how to design it, they've already figured out who needs to make it, where they need to make it. There's so much cost associated with that. So they need to sell a certain amount of shoes just to recoup those costs. But once they break even, boom, margins go up. Typically in products, Margin, now think about a service, the airline industry. When we get more passengers on planes, we still need what in order to, to use these planes? Fuel. Fuel and pilots and stewardesses and all this kind of stuff. It's more of a service. We're not offering really a product. We assume that the demand for um, airlines is going to be continuous. With the product, it's not as, it's not as much. The product isn't a guarantee. The difference between our businesses that are products versus the businesses that are services, products tend to take a lot more capital initially than services. And what happens in services, it requires a lot of fixed ongoing human capital, whereas products not nearly as much. It requires a lot of initial upfront investment, human capital, then once again you break even, boom, you should take off to the races. So that's why a lot of venture capital, they like to back products, they like to back technologies, because they can initially invest, and then once, if it hits, the margins and the cash flow are extremely high. It just opened its doors. What happens? What does this look like? Day one. At the business, everything's set up. We got all the stuff we need. He needs customers. Sales. 
Your sales process, right? What does it look like? Step one, hire a sales guy. Sales guy goes out, calls customer. And typically once you call the customer, you do what? Schedule a meeting. A lot of times in the sales process, you have to follow up on the meeting, right? Then you might do a promotion. Then you either close it, which would be one, or you lose it, loss, lose, which would be lost. And then once you close it, we're done the sales process. What happens next? We need to do something. What do we need to do? Just close the deal. Deliver. Who delivers? What does it look like? You need to have a planning meeting. Okay, after the planning meeting, then what needs to happen? Maybe some design and artwork? Then we need to get approval, right? After we get approval, then what? So we got presentation in there. And then once they say yes to the presentation, and then we maybe track. And then we might analyze. And then we might have to send them a bill. Right? For all the work we just did. Then we might have to collect payment. And we might have to do a um, post-purchase survey. How do we do? What is this? So we just draw there. Lost mapped our process, right? We can call this the production process. And we should probably call this billing process. So we got three processes we just mapped. Is it important to do that as operational? What are we looking for here? Consistency, so quality, structure. We're looking for ways to potentially eliminate bottlenecks. bottlenecks. Mm -hmm. What could be a potential bottleneck here? How do we eliminate the approval process? So what we just did could potentially save us three days of nonsense going back and forth. I know that the market was the approval process is a pain in the What are some other ways we can optimize our, our operational process and our efficiency? So specializing. Well, how, how about a dang good salesperson? He just crushes it, right? How about a heck of a production manager? Specializes in production. Totally different than the salesperson. So you can specialize in order to create efficiency. You can try to eliminate bottlenecks in the process. All of that is creating value for capital expenditure, operation. Remember that cycle? What will this create? It will create more cash, create more operational efficiency, which creates more cash, creates more profits, creates more cash. So this is so critical to the value system. And if we're really good at this, we're really good at this, we're really good at this. In the beginning phases of the company, who's doing all that? All of it. You're getting sales, you're doing some design, you send them the invoice. You use QuickBooks online, it's pretty quick, it's automated, you try to automate all this stuff. Now you're going, you're churning, you're growing. You feel like you, but you're freaking busy, you're working 24-7 like Sarah Blakely, you're in your apartment, it's, it's crazy yes. what you're doing. So you design something called a, a job description. A job description. Right. Wouldn't it be great as entrepreneurs, as when you took notes and you outlaid this, you took notes, you outlaid this, you took notes, you outlaid this, and you wrote your job description, I need a person that can send bills, collect payment, develop a post-purchase survey, a perfect job description because you know exactly what it takes for that process. And you find that person, you bring them in, you interview them, you put them through that wealth dynamics profile. I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm not looking for. So the point is, and this is the point, I really want to nail this home. You have to know your processes. You have to map them out prior to hiring that person so you know exactly what this looks like so you can write an efficacious job description so that when you bring the person in and the person brings you cookies and donuts and they're so nice to you, but they suck at math, you say, I can't hire you. I don't care how nice you are. Here's what I need and here's what I need them to do. So that's when you hire, and then you hire them. You now have in your hands a manual for them to do their job. So you're preparing for that moment right from the beginning when you start mapping out your processes and your operations.
And it's crazy because as entrepreneurs, I mean, I'm sure you can relate. You're just doing. I can do this. Do some of this. And you're not thinking about what you're doing. But eventually, that has to end. You have to replace yourself. And if you're not mapping out your processes, replace yourself. You're either going to be a poor leader for that person, or you're you're going to be confused as to who's doing what and how and how that works. Payroll. We put manual handbook. We put uniforms, procedure manual. So we kind of broke human resources down. And the question is, the functionality of human resources, yeah, we call it human resources in this big bucket that we just throw stuff into. But we really have to understand what actually is it that we need them to do. Because if we can provide, if we were to hire a human resource tomorrow in your company, you hire them, congratulations, welcome to your first day at work. What do you need from them? You can just expect them to provide you something that is in your head that you need that they're going to have to use transcendental meditation to figure out. We need to tell them Here's what I need, here's how I need you to function, and what would be what would be the thing we give them? What to do would we give them so that they can provide value for the organization? So we try to put some of that on there. How about onboarding? Training I think is a big one. How about safety procedures? When we went through mission and vision, all that kind of stuff, it's probably pivotal for that person to really understand that and have a deep dive discussion into what that is, why we're here, so that they can convey that to the other employees that they hire. So we we just have to call that something. So okay, what's the point? What are some takeaways from creating this list? And we could probably do this for another 10 minutes. Wouldn't you agree? And this really isn't industry specific. This is most comfortable. If you're a business owner or you're functioning, you're trying to get, and all of a sudden you can't send your emails, which I've experienced last week, or all of a sudden you can't, and it's not just let's Google this and fix it. No, there's like a multitude of different things that you got to figure out that at times you need somebody that really knows what they're doing to come in and, and help you out and set you up. So IT is a good one, but how about phones? And cell phones. That's one. I, I would separate that from computers and software. A phone system. How about a phone number? <laughs> How about a mailing address? Like some of these things, sometimes we don't think about, but there, there's, there's so many ways in which to do something. But the reality is, FedEx does that. Wix does that. GoDaddy does that. Getting an LLC, and there's a, a tool called Ring Central. Uh, get PO boxes, like these minutia type of things. I'm going to put a little guide as to all the stuff that I did and the partners I used to do it. And the cost associated with it, because it wasn't a lot, and it, it'll be a real tangible way that in 30 days, you just do some of these things, minimal cost exposure, that you can pretty much set up a business. And there's a couple great, Microsoft Office 365 has unbelievable tools with booking appointments, Microsoft Booking, forms, and they're starting into forms and surveys too. Ask customers certain things or gather information. Microsoft is almost the home one. It's an unbelievable company. They've done a lot through that Office 365 platform. Uh, Adobe's getting a lot better too. So in the oversight of really all of this is, is you, the CEO. And idealistically, they're working together. And idealistically, you trust them. And you're probably going to be more focused here because you're just more interested in working with the salesperson. So you're going to need these people to be even more trustworthy. And you're going to have weekly meetings. You know, you're going to have your own reports, your data that are going to come in. You're going to know how many bills Shirley sent and how many productions Jenny put out that day. He said, without sales, you got nothing. You got a bunch of games you're playing on. <laughs> you got a bunch of computers that are doing nothing. So the, the core of business, where it all begins, is sales. And then what? If you sell it, could operations botch it? So once it's sold, these two become almost equally as important. So good luck selling something without quality operations. Nothing happens without the sale. Once it's sold, operations can either win it or lose it. 
Once operations does something with it, you better bill it, you better collect the money, you better have payment parameters because if we don't collect, we don't get paid. I don't care how well you sold it. I don't care how well you made it. You just lost a bunch of money because now you have a huge AR that has to be written off because they're not paying. Or you bill them wrong. Got the zero on the end of that 100,000. You bill them 10,000. What? That's wrong. So these then become mutually equal, <laughs> literally. But it all starts with sales. So if that's not happening, operations are fine to sell their jobs. And in order to offset the cost, what's a strategy that we can employ to offset that cost? We can increase the cost to our customers. We just increase the price that's, of monthly service. Yeah, hey, we're delivering better service. Price is going up. And we start bidding stuff out. It's not $180 a month to clean your pool, it's 210 bucks a month. If you want the other pool guy who's not going to deliver the great service with the great people, with the great software, then you can pay 180 bucks a month again. And the problem with my business when I was operating is this this is what we were doing. We did this all the time because we were in the service business and we were cleaning thousands of pools every day. But the reality is there weren't a lot of people that had time to walk through this process and look at it in detail. And like you said, we're just freaking busy. Like, there was so much going on that in order to spend a day, which literally you can take a day mapping out these processes and look for bottlenecks in areas where you can improve for operational efficiency. But who's got time for that? And as a small business owner, it's hard. So you have to do it. You have to learn how to work on your business and not always in your business. That's the whole point. But you cannot 100% of the time do all this stuff. You have to take a step back. And as, as an entrepreneurial educator, I'm trying to provide you with the value and you can see the big picture of when you're in the operations when you guys are in your business whether you're working for someone else whether you're doing it yourself whether you're incentivized with equity and your family business whatever that looks like for you two or three years from now spend time doing this and if somebody says what are you doing that for we got we we know how to do this we just do it you said okay <laughs> and you find someone smart and you get in a room and you go through this process and you and that person implement change and make things better and if the owner or your boss isn't willing to entertain these kinds of conversations, I highly suggest you go and look for another employer because this is where value is created in operations. So this is just an example of mapping your operational process. Order entry, order processing and fulfillment, production, order delivery, customer billing, after-sales service, product usage, returns and claims, similar to what we did up there. This is really product-focused, assembly, service delivery time, that's actually service. Lead time from key suppliers. When I when we sell heaters and a customer says I want a heater for my pool and or an air conditioning, the question is how long for them saying yes, I want it, and they give me a deposit, can I actually install it in their house and collect the remainder of the money? What does that look like? That's the lead time. From customer order to fulfillment to then billing to then collection. Mapping that out, once it's sold, what does it look like sold, scheduled, performed? collect or build. If I sell it, call my supplier, it'll have it, I got a problem. So ahead of time, we have to make sure that we have those relationships because my customer may have a party this weekend. He called me on Monday. He needs his heater installed by Friday. If I can't provide that, what's, what is he going to do? Call the competitor. So we have to understand our demand, consistency of demand, inventory policy, how long. So if we had 15 heaters on hand, we wouldn't have to worry about that. But if we have 15 heaters on hand, we're susceptible to the theft, we're susceptible to more significant capital expenditures, we're susceptible to not selling those things and having to scrap them, we're susceptible that they're just getting old and collecting dust in our inventory. Inventory is risk, inventory is expensive, wholeheartedly decreasing inventory is, is a better business strategy.
But sometimes we have to keep inventory. So we have to have inventory policy. You may not think that if you're in business that all this stuff matters, but it does. Because the reality is we're competing against the Amazons of the world and the Teslas of the world and the Brightlines of the world. Because when a customer goes out and lives in our society that we live in, even though they may receive customer service from a totally different industry, they now expect you to be as good as them. And they're very sensitive to that. If you don't pick up a phone call from a customer, they think you suck. If you let your calls go to voicemail, they got a problem. And email, same thing. So the reality is this, this stuff is important. And customers, when they're paying you, or they're thinking about paying you, they want good service. We have to show them that. And those are some ways we can really stand out from our competition. Wouldn't it be important to, to give this to some of the employees that come in for the first time? Here's sort of how we work. Here's a general framework on, on how we operate. That's the kind of stuff we need to do in our business, too. Because the reality, you are the operation in the beginning of this company. And it's important that we understand, am I spending all this time looking for work, and then I get to work, and I'm not doing a good job delivering the service? Think of your business like a franchise. Systematic activities defined in order. You may need two distinct operating models. Brightline may have an operating model to sell their food and drinks, uh, or it's a different operating model for their tickets, for their ticket sales. So if you're Brightline, and you're in charge of operations for Brightline, would you, would you do the same thing you do for ticket sales as you do for food and beverage? Ticket sales versus food and beverage. You could do the same operating model, have synergies between the both, but they're totally different operations. I mean, say if you did pool service and landscape service, it could be the same operating model, but it's very similar. You wake up in the morning, you get a chart, you go to the yard, clock in, clock out, similar thing. But food and beverage versus selling train tickets, probably two different operating models. So that depends on your revenue drivers. What's front stage operations? Disney's a great one. What is Disney really good at? Being on stage is their big thing. When you're at work at Disney, you're not a security guard. You are a cast member. Everything is front stage. Everything is, it's important what, how you are presented in front of the customer. And a lot of their staff really embrace that. Backstage operations, what are some examples of backstage operations? Sometimes these restaurants allow you to see the kitchen. It's part of, but a lot of times at Disney, they want the experience out here. They want distractions, but you don't see the kitchen. Who comes out, it's great. Think about when you go to big events, they do catering. You don't even know where this food's coming from. They ship it out. It could have came from who knows where it came from. They bring it out in the masses. You don't even know where the kitchen is. So there's different operating models. Service operations, taking advantage of unique characteristics of services, tangibilizing the intangible. Like, okay, human resources. What is that? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a handbook. That's human resources. It's a procedural matter. It's a benefits package. Like that's tangibilizing human resources. I can't tell you how important it is to do that as entrepreneurs. Oh, we have a marketing plan. Okay, like, what does that look like? Show it to me. Here's my Instagram page. Here's my Facebook page. Once a week, I do a post. Here's what the post looks like. Here's where I get my content. Every time I do a post, I promote it. That's what it looks like. I tangibilize the marketing plan. But there's a lot of value in saying, okay, here's what that looks like. Here's the procedures I use to execute on the marketing plan. Think about the difference between a business plan that says, here's my marketing plan, I'll read it. Here's what I did last Tuesday. And here's how many likes I got. And here's how often I do that. And it's practical. They can say, wow, this guy is working. doing a good job. Uh, mapping customer moments of truth. What are the points of customer interface with your business? Are they going to be a part of the planning meeting? Are they going to be designing your artwork? No. Are they going to be a part of the approval? Probably. Are they going to be a part of the production plan? No. 
And so what I'm trying to say is every time you have a customer interface, your shoes should be polished, your presentation should be on point, the details better be there, better get the name right. Think about what those customer points are so you know that these are important. Email signature matters. The spelling matters. Succinctness of your messaging matters. Look professional. Be customized. Be comprehensive. Have you been waiting for this opportunity to get in front of the customer? A long time, yeah. right? It's, it's a big moment. So when you go to that meeting, are you going to wear a shirt that has a stain on it? Are you going to arrive late? This is a moment that we've been waiting for this baby for nine months. I want to make sure my, my suitcase is ready for the hospital. I'm calling my wife. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Waiting for this moment. That's the pregnant moment with the customer where you're anticipating these moments. I love the language. I love metaphors because hopefully that's something you take away with you. Because you think, okay, a pregnant moment. What does that mean? Every time you talk to a customer, it's a pregnant moment where you can create value for your business, for your, for your clients. Talk to them. Capitalize on those moments. So think about from a business owner's perspective. You're boring. Your social media is in. It's not consistent. You show up. And yeah, the customer's going to lose attention real quick. The goal is to keep the customer's sustained attention. One of the techniques that Sarah Blakely used, she said she was sitting with this lady from Newman Market. She was a buyer. She sensed that the buyer was, was losing her attention. She, she called the customer. She had energy. She cared about her product. She told the customer, I'm not sending you samples. This is an invention. <laughs> she could have sent the samples. It's no big deal. But she said, no, no, no. This is a groundbreaking invention. You make sure the customer knows this is important, and I care about this. And I want you to care about it as much as I care about this. I'm losing your attention. Am I creating value for you? Because it doesn't seem like I am. These are all perfect greeting, waiting for the table, seating, drink order, reading the menu, food order. This is a restaurant, serving the food. These are the different customer touch points.